thanks for checking out this message from Springmount Church. For more information about us and what we do, visit our website, springmount.church. Why not check out all the different groups that run throughout each week in Barrow and on Walney? And join us every Sunday from 11am at Salt House Pavilion in Barrow Infernos. If you would like us as a church to pray for you, please email prayer at springmount.church or sign up on our website for monthly news straight to your inbox. We finished our series last week and Sarah did a fantastic job, but I want to remind you of the one thing she said about the Sermon on the Mount. And I think we need to recognise this is for the whole Bible, not just the Sermon on the Mount. Don't just hear it, do it. Okay? Remember a while back, don't just, be the, don't just come to church, be the church, okay? Don't just hear what the Bible has to say and go, oh, that was nice, and go away and make no difference. The whole point of coming on a Sunday morning is to be filled up to pour out, okay? To be filled up to pour out. So here we are to celebrate. When we sing these songs, we're lifting his name higher so that we can say, God, it's all about you. It's all about you. He is worthy of it all. It's nothing to do with us. It's not about people. He is worthy of it all. So we start a new series this morning, which is called Roads and Rivers. And you might think, well, what's that all about? And basically, uh, I once, I've, I've had several encounters on roads, and I don't mean like road rage, okay, with uh, famous people, okay? I was once on my way home from Manchester on a Sunday evening on the M61, we pulled off to get fuel at what was Rivington Services when it was a bit of a dingy, dark place to stop. It wasn't the nice Euro garages that it is now. It was a bit grim. And I pulled off. It was a very cold, windy, dark night. I filled up. I don't mean I got emotional because of the price of petrol. It was cheaper then. I filled up my car. I, uh, I headed inside to pay. And as I got to the door, there was a man coming out the other way. So I held the door open for this man. And as he walked out and got level with me, I thought, that's Ali McCoist. Now, for those of you who don't know, Ali McCoist used to be one of Scotland's best footballers. He played for Rangers, he played for Scotland, I think he played for Sunderland. Um, he played for lots and lots of different teams. He was the captain on Question of Sport for many, many years. So you might know him from that. He's now a pundit on Talk Sport Radio. So he's quite a big deal. And I held the door open for him that encounter I had with Ali McCoist, and I said, you're Ali McCoist. <laughs> to which he said, hi, pal, and walked past me. And that's my only moment I can treasure with Ali McCoist, that I said, you're Ali McCoist. What a waste of an encounter with somebody. A similar thing happened when I was crossing the road in London, and James Acaster, the comedian, was walking across. I said, you're James Acaster. <laughs> and he turned around and went, I said, oh, can I have a selfie? He said, no, I'm late for my train. So when he came to Barrow, I said, do you remember me from a few months ago? <laughs> he said, yes. Anyway, he said, I was going to miss my train, you muppet. Anyway, I also met Audrey Roberts for Coronation Retreat fans, crossing the road in Manchester. So I've had encounters as I've gone across roads with quite a few people, but I can't say I've had anything profound to say, and I can't say it changed my life, other than being able to tell you the story that I met Ali McChrist. So this series is about the fact that in the Bible, there are loads of moments on roads and in rivers, beside rivers, where people encountered God. 
where people had life-changing moments because they met the Holy Spirit, they met Jesus, they met God, Father, Son, and Spirit. They had encounters on roads and rivers. So that's what we're looking at as we go through this summer. They were life-changing moments where nothing was the same ever afterwards. Nothing was ever quite the same as it was. And my prayer for us as Spring Mount Church is that we hear about these encounters, we hear about these meetings with Father, Son, and Spirit, and we too are changed by those encounters. We too are transformed because we hear it and we say, I want Father, Son, and Spirit in my life. I want that encounter for me. I want to meet with him. But as we learned last week, we need to remember, don't just hear it. We've got to do it. We've got to step out. We've got to step up. We've got to listen, and we've got to listen to God's whisper or shout. And this morning, before we even read anything, you've got to let your heart be willing to have it. You've got to have your ears open. You've got to have our eyes open. We've got to have our hearts willing to receive anything that God is going to say. Yeah? So as we start this series, that's my, that's my threat to you. <laughs> but I promise you that actually if we live with Jesus as everything, then actually it won't be easy, but it will be the best, even if it doesn't always feel like that. So we're going to read a passage from 2 Kings chapter 5. I'm not going to share loads of stories this morning, you'll be quite glad to hear, because there's so much in this passage that speaks to us of God and what his plan is. And I believe it speaks to us of what God's plan is for you, whoever you are, whatever age you are, whatever situation you're in, whether you're Canadian, whether you're going to Manchester, whatever your background, there is a plan this morning for you. So let's read. We're going to read it in chunks, but we're going to look at 2 Kings chapter 5, and we're going to read from verses 1 to 16. So I'm going to stop every so often, because I want us to understand what's going on in this story. There's more to it than perhaps meets the eye. So 2 Kings chapter 1, chapter 5, starting at verse 1, says this. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Going to stop there, okay? Here's the setting. We're in a place called Aram. This is not God's people. This is not a nice place. They didn't worship God. They didn't do things the way that God would want them to do. But it says that God had used them. So do you know this morning, God can use you even if you don't know him. God uses people who don't know him to spread his word, to show his love. And this man, Naaman, was living in Syria, a dark place. And the first characters we see in the story is Naaman, first of all. What do we learn about Naaman? First of all, it says he was a great man. Let's read the description. He was a great man. He was a commander. He was highly regarded. And despite not being one of God's people, he'd been used. He was brave. He was valiant. Great. Highly regarded. Important. Brave. If I said to you this morning, what, which of those words describes you? <laughs> Who would stand up and go, yes, well, I'm great, okay? I'm highly regarded. Who would say, I'm brave? Probably none of us. 
But Naaman was this incredible guy. He'd won battles. He was a commander. He was at the top of the tree. He was important. But he was affected by leprosy. Leprosy didn't care who you were. Didn't care whether you were important. Didn't care whether you were unimportant. Didn't care whether you were great or not great. Didn't care whether you were a commander or a servant. Leprosy was a leveller. It was an incurable disease at the time. There were two strands of it. But one in particular was just impossible to cure. You would live with it for the whole of your life. He was afflicted by leprosy. Leprosy also is a disease that starts on the inside. It affects the blood first of all. But then once it's in your system, it then starts to show on the outside. You start to get bumps and blisters. You start to lose parts of your your skin. You become desensitized to the pain. We'll come back to that. So Naaman, great man, important. Second character we see is a slave girl. She's in captivity. She's from Israel. She's been captured, taken from her home, and put into slavery. But I want to ask a question. I don't know your circumstances this morning. You don't know mine. But if we were put into slavery and taken away from our homeland, would we be sitting there going, oh, woe is me. I can't cope with this. I want to go back home. Or would we be like this girl looking for an opportunity to be God's mouthpiece? She's not moaning. What's her response? It says she's, she's, she's not able to do anything other than serve her mistress. She recommends God. She is in that position and in that circumstance for such a time as this. She is able to speak to Naaman and point him in the direction of a saviour. She's in a position where she can point to the one who can make all the difference. Her circumstances are irrelevant. In fact, her circumstances are the reason she can do it. So whatever our circumstances this morning, let's not focus on them. Let's say, God, what are you going to do through me? God, what can you have me do? How can I still serve? How can I still speak? Even though it might be the worst place ever. I want to be home with my family. I don't want to be a slave. But she's not like that. She says, if only he would go to the man of God. Because that's what's going to make the difference. I know there's people in this church who have pointed people to the God that we love. Despite their circumstances. Because that's what it's about. Because he is the one that can make all the difference. This slave girl, unimportant. Abandoned almost, perhaps she feels. But what does she do? She's still looking for the God opportunity that comes her way. She's still looking to be used, even despite the circumstance. That's the first thing we learn just by looking at the characters. If only Naaman would go and speak to the man of God. It reminded me a bit of Paul in the New Testament. Paul was many times in prison when he wrote Philippians and he's saying, rejoice in the Lord always and think on good things and, and, and all that jazz. He was in prison. But do you know what? He was chained to people who would have heard the message of God over and over and over again. He used his opportunities despite his weakness and his circumstance. So there's the characters. Let's read on. Verse 4. Naaman, this great man, went to his master and told him that what the girl from Israel had said. By all means go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. 
So Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. That's impressive, isn't it? 10 sets of clothing. That's some birthday party. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter, I am sending my servant Naaman to you, so that he may, you may cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman goes to his boss, the king of this place that isn't, is godless, really, in terms of the God of Israel. Naaman goes to him and says, I've been told there's somebody who can help me. Am I allowed to go? Will you give me permission? And he says, yes, I'll give you a letter as well, and we'll send shed loads of money, shed loads of clothes, and we're going to buy our favour. Let me ask you another question. Where do we look for favour? Where do we look for things that are important? How do we find favour with God? Because it's not about the money, as Jesse J once sang. It's not about the money. They decide it's going to be all about the money. It's all about the goods. They were seeking wholeness and healing in what they valued instead of what God could do. They were seeking favour in all the wrong means. They were trying to earn God's favour. They were trying to earn wholeness. They were trying to earn healing. So they went, name and goes. They were seeking for answers as well in the wrong people. Verse 7 goes on to say this. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? I want to read it in a voice of panic, because that's what it sounds like. Oh my God, can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, I could have done an incredible Hulk moment this morning, but I think everyone on the live stream would have switched off very quickly. And you would have had no choice but to scream and leave the room. The king gets this letter... The king of Israel, God's people, gets this letter from a foreign king saying, sort my man out with you, I've heard that God's with you. And his response is, me? Rips his clothes, looks like some sort of nutter, and goes into mass panic and paranoia that he is impossible, he can't do it. You know, the king of Israel, the money's not going to heal him. And the king of Israel, the most important man in that country, is not going to heal him. But the king is the opposite of that little slave girl. That little slave girl, so unimportant, seen as probably not great, points to God. The king can only see himself. The king of Israel can only see himself. Remember when we looked at Haggai and Zechariah at the beginning of the year... There was always the king and the priest. They were supposed to work in tandem. The king and the priest. One was representing God to the people. The other representing the people to God. They were supposed to work like that. Here we've got a king who doesn't even recognize what his own prophet can do. Here we've got a king who is unable to point to God because his eyes are just on himself. Does that not go back a little bit sometimes to our circumstance? The little slave girl's eyes weren't on herself. She wasn't looking at her position. She wasn't looking at her being weak. She was just looking at the God who she knew could do anything. She was looking at the God who she knew was with her despite where she was. She was pointing herself and her eyes and other people. The king was paranoid. 
Look at that contrast. One of them's young, no status, no wealth, no importance. But she points to the God that can save. Enter Elisha. Elisha is God's mouthpiece. It says, let's read that bit from verse um, 7 again. Or from verse 8. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? I love that. He sent him this message. Why, what are you doing that for? What on earth are you playing at, you nutter? You can imagine in the message version, that's what it says. What are you doing? Why have you done that? Why have you torn your clothes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. The king of Israel was unaware of the prophet. <laughs> Maybe this morning, you've been in this church for a while, and you're still unaware of Jesus. Maybe you're still unaware of the fact that he died for you, that he rose again, defeating sin and death, that he is the answer, that he is the one that will make the difference. I met somebody uh, on my, in my role as football chaplain who said, oh, I'm, uh, I'm from a different group. I said, oh, well, at least we're, we're all pointing to, to God. And he said, oh, no, I said, you lot believe that Jesus was the son of God. We just believe he was a man. And I felt really sad. Because if Jesus is just a man, we may as well go home. We may as well go home. Because there's no power in just a man. Because I'm just a man, and I know there's no power in me. But there is power in Jesus. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. We're going to sing that later. Spoiler. Sorry. It's because I've already sung it. <laughs> king and priest were both meant to be pointing to God. But actually, the king had lost sight of what it was all about. Have we lost sight? Do we tend to focus on ourselves too much? What we want? How we're going to sort the problem? What we can do to achieve it? Or do we just continue to say, it's all about him? It's all about him. It's all about him. None of it's about me. And we're going to see that now. Elisha, Elisha not Elisha, Elisha enters. Naaman looked for the answers in the wrong place. Are you looking for all the answers in the wrong places? Because it will just mess your life up. We work with many people and are looking for answers in all the wrong places. And it messes life up. It skews what they are about themselves. Naaman looked for answers in the wrong place. He looked for answers with the wrong person. And he looked to human authority instead of God's authority. Let's read on. Verse 9. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. <laughs> Just Let's picture that scene, shall we? Naaman went with his horses and chariots. This great commander turns up like, did you see the Jubilee procession? You know, I can imagine like there's open top buses with characters from all the decades of Naaman's life, maybe. In his chariots, they turn up at the house of the prophet. I guess that was a pretty simple dwelling place. I guess Naaman turns up with all this might and strower, you know, looking impressive. We might look around on a Sunday morning and go, oh, I wish I was impressive as that guy, or I wish I was impress as impressive as that girl. You might look around and go, oh, I just wish I was like that. Don't. You are you, and God made you you, and loves you as you, and has got a job for you to do. The only you can do. That little slave girl, she was the only one who could point Naaman to God. 
Naaman turns up, went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. I bet he was guessing, oh, this man's got to be impressed by me. I'm great, it says so at the beginning of the chapter. I'm a commander, I'm important, I'm wealthy, I've got all that authority. Elisha sent a messenger. <laughs> Doesn't even come out. Doesn't even come out to see him. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. Interestingly, when leprosy is mentioned in the Bible, it very rarely talks about being healed. It talks about being clean. It talks about being cleansed. Even Jesus talks about being cleansed. So what's Naaman's response to this messenger who says, it's simple. All you've got to do is go for a dip seven times in the Jordan River, sorted, bish, bash, bosh. Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farfa, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Interesting reaction. What's the answer to my problem? What is going to sort me out from this disease that infects me from the inside out? What am I going to do? Just go and have a wash and God will save you. Go and have a dip. Why is Naaman angry? This great man with his power and horses and might, because he's told to go and wash seven times by a messenger, not even the man of God himself, in a dirty old river. The Jordan was a muddy, dirty river. Naaman says, there's better rivers where I live. You know, it'd be like being told, going to the doctor, and the receptionist saying, the doctor's busy, but I'm going to tell you what to do. We get that a bit sometimes anyway, don't we? <laughs> oh, sorry, that's controversial. Especially because we've got a lot of doctors in. Imagine the receptionist, the doctors, you go and you say, I've got this real big problem. And the receptionist goes, oh, the doctor's busy. But I tell you what, go and jump in Walney Channel. And you're saying, but I live in the Bahamas. The water's clear as crystal in the Bahamas. Can I not just go and jump in the Bahamas, the, the sea, whatever seas around the Bahamas? Is it in the Indian Ocean or something like that? I don't know. Uh, my geography's rubbish. I stopped in year eight equivalent. That's what he's being told to do. He's been told by a messenger to go and dip seven times, the perfect number throughout the Bible to represent sort of God's perfection. Go and dip seven times in a river and you'll be healed. And that Naaman is raging. He wants the prophet to come and wave his hands all over him and go, whoosh, you're healed. As if the prophet himself has some sort of magic power. As if the man of God is going to be the one that makes a difference. No, it's not the money. It's not the authority of the king. It's not the people. It's God. It's not even the man of God. It's God, Father, Son and Spirit that makes all the difference. It's that simple. But maybe you're getting angry while I'm saying that this morning. He expects this prophet to do something dramatic. Sometimes God asks us to do things that are dramatic. We're going to look at the life of Elisha later in the year. And there's a time where he lies on top of somebody, head to head, mouth to mouth, nose to nose. That's a bit dramatic. 
But there's a purpose behind this because Naaman is looking in all the wrong places. He thinks it's about importance. He thinks it's about wealth. He thinks it's about how he can earn it. It's not. It's the grace of God. It's God's goodness. It's God's power. Elisha, Naaman doesn't just want to go off for a swim in an unimpressive river. He says, I may as well just go home and do that. So instead of being obedient to the simple request, Naaman goes off and gets angry and doesn't do anything. That's ridiculous when we read it, isn't it? Instead of doing that thing, that simple thing, he goes and gets angry and does nothing. But it's easy to read that and think it's ridiculous, but how often do we in our hearts have that same attitude? How often do we sit here when we think, actually, I'd really love to go for prayer, but you know what? I'll go and ask afterwards because I don't want to stand up in front of people because people will think I'm weak. Do you know what? We're all weak. We should all be getting up going for prayer every week because we need it. We need more of him. The prayer isn't about the people praying. It's about asking God to fill us. It's about asking his spirit to dwell in us. It's about asking him to do it all. And yet, sometimes maybe we go home and go, what's that all about? Maybe it's too simple for us to stand up and go to the back and just say, please, can you just ask God to just speak into my situation? Maybe it's too simple. Maybe we've never done it. You know, it's not the people, it's not the money that heals. It's not the authority that heals. It's not the person that heals. It's not the water that makes the difference. It's the obedience to God that makes all the difference. It's the simplicity of going where God says and doing what God asks. And you know, God says, come to me all who are weary. God says, believe on the Son. God says, I've given my son for you. If you believe in him, you won't perish. It's simple. And yet so often we just will not do it because we lack the courage and the obedience to do the simple things. Do you know, leprosy was a disease that showed sin to the people. It wasn't that you were sinful and you got leprosy. Leprosy was a sign that represented the sin to the people. We, we don't, this, the word sin's quite old-fashioned, but it just means missing out on God's best. It just means not being obedient to God. It doesn't mean you've done, you know, it's not about just naughty things. It's about just not, not matching what God will have you do. So how does it represent sin? Well, leprosy starts internally, but is eventually seen on the outside. Leprosy causes desensitization to hurt and damage and lasts a lifetime. So the pain of leprosy wasn't always felt because it damaged the nerve endings. There was no cure for one strand of leprosy. If you had it, you had to isolate yourself and cut yourself off from everything that life had to offer. You were effectively living, but you were the walking dead. And it destroyed that which was made in God's image. In other words, it destroyed your features. It destroyed your reflection of God's image in your life. What does sin do? Sin starts internally, but is always seen eventually on the outside of life. The pain of sin isn't always felt as we damage our sensitivity towards it and it stops feeling painful the more we get involved with it. We become hard-hearted to it. No one person can cure sin. Only God can deal with it through Jesus' death and resurrection. Sin isolates us and separates us from the God who loved us, created us, and wanted us to have a life that we're meant to, meant to live. We're effectively with sin. We're living, but we're dead to life. Sin destroys our image as God's children. Can you see why leprosy is a big deal in the Bible? Can you see as well why it doesn't say you're healed from it, but you're cleaned? 
Because God says, I can clean you up from the inside out. I can make you whole. I can make you washed whiter than snow. Also, Naaman is told the solution, but he wants to achieve it his way. He wants it to be on his terms, not just seven dips in a river. Do you know, God has given us the solution to sin, the thing that separates us. He's given us the answer. And yet sometimes it makes us angry because we think, I don't want to do that. I want to earn it. I want to work hard. I want to do things that are going to earn me a position before God. God says, just come to me. Just come to me and give it all to me. Come to me and give your life to me. That's what will make the difference. Maybe it makes you angry that you just can't achieve it in the way you want to. Maybe you can't buy your way to favour with God. Maybe because your position doesn't matter. Maybe you want to go to a posh cathedral because that's going to make the difference. No, it's God and God alone. That's what this encounter that Naaman had in the river meant. Verse 13 says this. Naaman's servants went to him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? <laughs> if the prophet's told you to do something great, you know, if, imagine Shrek being told to rescue Fiona just by walking into a house. That would be easy, wouldn't it? But he had to fight a dragon. You know, these, these knights of old, they wanted these tales to tell. God says it's not that difficult. Just come. Just come. Let me do the work. Let me do the carrying because it's already been done. It is finished, said Jesus. Dealt with forever. If the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? Where does Naaman get his best advice from? The servants, the humble, the low, the people who don't think of their own self-importance, the people who aren't focused on just them. And they say, even these servants of Naaman just say, do what he tells you. Be obedient. Verse 14. So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Wow. He's obedient. God acts. And he says, Now I know there's no other God. Now I know. How does he know God? Because he's obedient. How does he know God's power? Because he's obedient. How does he know those things? Because he is obedient. So please accept a gift from your servant, but he still doesn't get it. <laughs> he still wants to pay for it. He still thinks he's got to earn it. No. The prophet answered, as surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. It wasn't about Elisha. It wasn't about God's prophet. It was about God. It was about his power. You know, I bet it was hard work to dip in that river. I bet it was hard to swallow his pride and go and jump in that dirty old river. And I wonder if he got to the sixth time and thought, well, nothing's changed so far. I wonder if he got to the sixth and thought, do I really need to go another one? Do I really need to keep going to this river? Maybe he nearly gave up, but the result of his encounter in the river was he knew God. Naaman discovered God through people speaking out despite their circumstances who weren't focused on the drudgery of the day. They were focused on the glory of their God. He discovered God because of the faithfulness of the prophet who wasn't distracted by the fear of the king. He discovered God as he was obedient in the simple things and he discovered God in the miraculous result of his obedience. So this morning as we finish, what is God asking us to do? More specifically, what is God asking you to do? Every single person in this room, God is asking you to do something. 
You may not be hearing it because you're just closing it out. You may be too focused on your own issue. God is asking you to do something. Maybe it's to pray more. Maybe constantly this reminder to pray and you're just not doing it. Naaman went away angry because he didn't do the simple thing. Pray more. If God's asking you to pray more, pray more. Is God asking you to read his word every day? Read his word every day. It will make a difference. It will change your life. Is God asking you to seek out an older mentor to keep you accountable? Somebody else who will keep you and encourage you. Do it. Is God asking you to serve in a simple, mundane way? Is he asking you to step in a way you've never done before? Do it. Is God asking you to put down a habit that's hidden and secret, but you know it's away at you every day? Is he asking you to stop it? Stop it. Naaman's act of obedience healed him, cleaned him up, made him new. What is God asking you to do? Maybe he's asking you to give him your addiction completely to be clean and free. Maybe he's asking you to trust him with your health. Maybe God's asking you and says, have you asked for prayer for that thing that keeps you isolated? Do it. As God said, have you asked for prayer for that pain or that illness? Do it. Maybe he's asking you to simply accept him and trust him. Even though you might want to go through some complex earning, way of earning his favour, God just says, come to me. This morning, will you obey? Will you step up and step out? He says, come to me. Do you know, my meeting with Ali McCoy felt like I'd missed an opportunity to say something profound. Let this morning not be a missed opportunity for you to meet with a God who will speak profound words into your life. May this morning not be a missed opportunity for you to receive prayer. Even if at first it feels like the first dip in the river. It might be that you have to come back time and time again before God completely cleans you up wholeheartedly. It may be that this morning is the start of that journey. But let me say one thing. Do it. Imagine we're all sponsored by Nike. Just do it. Just do it. Because God says, I've got life for you. Don't let it be a missed opportunity to be obedient. The band's going to come up, and today we stand at the river. We stand at the river of God, the Holy Spirit. And he says, will you jump in? Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be free? Do you want to be, maybe today's the first dip. Maybe it's the seventh dip. But your position and reputation are not the big deal. The person who prays for you is not the big deal. Whether you've come to church this morning is not the big deal. It's whether you'll come to God. So I'm going to invite the band up. We're going to take communion because Jesus gave his life so that we could live. He died so we could be born again. He rose again, defeating death and sin. And this morning, that gift is available to every person. I'm going to invite our prayer team to stand at the back. They've got little lanyards on that say prayer team to make it easy for you. Don't confuse you with some secret symbols. This morning, maybe you feel God saying, I need to step up and do it. Tell the people praying for you what you're really asking God for. They can't do it, but they can say, God, Holy Spirit, come. And we're going to spend some time waiting on that. Maybe this morning there's something you've prayed for and you've not seen answers to. Keep praying. Not everybody in the Bible was healed, but ultimately they will be, or they were. God promises a new body. But you know what? He still loves us. Paul suffered with an affliction, even though he preached God's word time and time again. But there are people who are healed miraculously. But maybe you need to keep coming back to the river. Maybe you need to keep being obedient. Maybe you need to keep being faithful. This morning, my question to you is, will you be obedient? 
If there's a queue of people, great. Just wait. Don't rush this. This morning, will you obey? Will you step out? Don't worry. Will you step up? Will you be obedient to his voice? We're going to sing. Just go now. If you want to be, receive prayer, go now. Don't wait. If we have to queue up till one o'clock or later, brilliant. Everyone else can go through the side doors. But do not miss this opportunity to be obedient to God. Tell the people praying for you what you want prayer for. And they're just going to ask Jesus to come and fill you. Thanks, Marie.